Hi, welcome back to this podcast that I briefly renamed uh, Multiple Bloodsucking Insects, but I decided to rename it back to Aristotle Asparagus just to make things easier, but that is not what I'm calling myself here. I'm calling myself Sam, and I'm here with my friends uh, Will and Kiki. Um, hey, yeah, how's I, it going? Yeah, I want to let my friends and my listeners know that uh, today I had, uh, this morning, I actually uh, fell off my bike and got, like, injured and I had to get stitches. Like, in the entire process of this morning? Yep. Wow. Where, yeah. where did you fall? Oh, like, on, like, a road, like, it was wet. It was in the early morning. It was wet and I tripped. My bike fell. Never gotten stitches before. It's a completely new thing for me. How did it feel? Did it, did it hurt a little? Well, they numbed it, but it still kind of hurt. <laughs> but uh, speaking of things that are numb but still kind of hurt, uh, what is your opinion on British fascism? I'm, I'm going to have to go ahead and say that it's probably worse than normal fascism uh, because it's British, right? Yeah, well, I mean, it didn't cause any genocides like the German or Italian kinds did, or, or Spanish did, kind of did. Um, yeah, uh, but when you're German, at least you sound cool when you're doing a genocide. When you're British, you sound like an idiot, so... Well, no, the Germans kind of sound like stupid, too. Like, Does that sound cool? Know, it's, it's kind of cool. Okay. Eh, British, That's, I mean, you can't take that seriously. Kiki, what do you think? I, I'd never personally heard of you know like british fascism but it's kind of probably like in my opinion better than regular fascism because like tom holland is british right yeah but he's not oh that's a good point he's not well do you remember that in world war ii like the the english fought the german fascists yeah so like i support the british well yeah but those people weren't fascists. These are fascists. The, these the people we're going to talk about today sympathize with the German fascists. They like them. Oh, then I don't. I don't like them. Yeah, and, and just to be clear. You say you could do this until like three thirty. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Well, yeah. So in the last episode of this show, we discussed the Constitution Party with the same guests that I have here today. Um, and it was founded as a far right alternative to America's Republican Party. And uh, but. It isn't as far right as the kind of stuff you'd find in Europe, and actually Western and Eastern. Um, but I mean, uh, yeah. Um, also, in addition, the uh, the Constitution Party isn't as it isn't full on Nazi like some of the parties we're going to talk about today, which were actually British. They were founded kind of as a backlash, sort of, to the Conservative Party of Britain, who are which, which is actually a lot less conservative than even the Republican Party in the U.S. Like, I mean. I'm not sure you know about this, but like when Roe v. Wade was overturned, Boris Johnson like said it was a travesty. Yeah, I'd heard him say that. Yeah, like uh, like conservative parties in like Canada and Britain are like they're they're actually to the well nowhere near as conservative as what we have here in the U.S. Uh, but of course, that kind of stuff can exist in other countries, and it does. Um, so, yeah, and, and for some context, I should introduce you guys to a, a man by the name of Oswald Mosley. Do you know who that is? No, I don't know him. Um, yeah, and can, can you get closer to your microphone and make you more easy here? Yeah, yeah, I got you. There you go, that's good. Um, yeah, so Oswald Mosley was like kind of like the, the like guy to cre- who kind of like made fascism accessible to the UK. Like he, he, uh, he was a... Yeah, 
Behind the Bastards, it was the podcast this was inspired on, uh, this, this was based off of, they did a great two-parter on him, and that is where you should get your information about him from. I'm, that's not my job to do it, because they already covered it. But yeah, in short, he was a British politician. He served in Parliament on two separate occasions as a member of two different parties and in two different constituencies. Um, he first served from 1918 to 1924 as a Conservative MP for Harrow, which is a now-defunct constituency <clears throat> located in the county of Middlesex in northwestern Greater London, and he later served as a he later served from 1926 to 31 as a member of the Labour Party, and he represented uh, a town in the county of Staffordshire in the West Midford Midlands region. This town, it you'd assume from the way it's spelled, that it's pronounced Smethwick or Smethwick, but it's actually pronounced Smethwick. Are you aware of that kind of stuff with British na British place names? Yeah, more or less. Or British toponyms. Very British. British toponyms is the correct thing. Like, like, you, like you know, it's like how like it, it it looks like it's spelled Greenwich, but it's pronounced Greenwich, or like Norwich. Oh, yeah. Is Norwich or Warwick is Warwick? Uh, yeah. It, it's it's weird. I, I mean, there's also like like what looks like Leicester, or Le Leicester is Leicester, or War Worcester is Worcester, and just and just and and, and yeah, that, yeah, that is how you say Worcestershire sauce. It's just Worcestershire. Uh, not the the the, the it, it, I don't know why I can understand I, I no I actually can't understand either letter being silent but that's beside the point yeah he represented Smethwick in the West Midlands region but after his parliamentary service Oswald went under even more political changes because he had already been under political changes serving as both a Tory and as a Labour MP uh, and he came out as the man who essentially introduced the fascism of Hitler and of Mussolini into the UK. Um, he terrorized marginalized groups along the way, and that, that primarily Jews. Um, uh, and uh, he basically led the British fascist movement as its demagogue. Um, and he, he introduced, and by introducing fascism to uh, Great Britain, he set the stage for the National Front, essentially the modern successor to the party that Mosley kind of made popular, which was the British Union of Fascists. And the National Front is essentially the modern successor to it. <clears throat> so, so let me get this straight. When, yeah. when you say he brought fascism to England, yeah, is that like you know what what type of fascism was it? Kind of like, like basically like pretty much Nazism, but with a more like, but but they kind of makes it make it their own thing by trying to make it authentically British, but they kind of fail at doing that. They just make themselves look like British nationalists who also like Nazis. Uh, so like. Winston Churchill, like, was he like for this or kind of like against it? No, Winston Churchill was a bad person. He 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 was responsible for genocides in India and and other places too. He's not a good guy. We look at him with way too positive a lens. But he was not a fascist. He was he he was he was one of the three world leaders that made up the Allied powers, which fought against the Axis, which was the fascist aligned. But that's, that's pretty good, if if you ask me. Yeah, yeah, he, he 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 did. He was a part of the group with Stalin and FDR to that opposed the the uh, Axis, which was of fascist Italy, um, Imperial Japan, and Nazi Germany. So Winston Churchill is not one of these people. These people probably did not like Winston Churchill because they believed he was like basically they probably believed he was like a plant by the Jews or something like that. Uh, well, so the, are these people like kind of conspiracy theorists? Do you think? Yeah, of course. Like all, pretty much all far right people are. I think like the key distinction is that at the time British conservatism was about like 
like the empire being superior, the British empire being superior. I guess, but and, these and fascist the, yeah. Germany was about Germany being superior. And then mm -hmm. the British fascists believed in the superiority of their empire, yeah. but also supported the Nazis because um, they didn't like Jewish people. Yeah, I, 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 similar I, I, in the sense of how they view themselves, both the British conservatives and the British um, fascists view themselves as superior, like they both, you know, are racist against people in India and you know people in other parts of their colonies. Yeah. But it's it's different in the way that they support um, Germany because, yeah, you know, the, like Churchill, he didn't trust Germany because of what happened in World War One, whereas the British fascists, yeah, they they liked Germany. Yeah, but. Uh... We're we're not talking about what really happened during World War Two. We were, I, I was just talking about mostly kind of bringing an introduction to it. But who okay. we're really going to start with here is a man by the name of John Bean. He was a British uh, fascist activist. Um, and uh, yeah, also I I, I do want to say that uh, that there is of course there's probably going to be a lot of making fun of British people jokes here about like how like oh god British people suck. But I will say that this morning when I did fall off my bike. There was a guy who, like, this was right near my local post office, which is like right down the street that I live on. Uh, and 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 there was a guy who, like, the the guy who saw me fall and like actually like came over and helped me like get up and like clean the blood off of me. Did have a light British accent. I didn't know there was a British person living on my street, but uh, I'll say not all British people are terrible. I think actually that was most likely a psyop. He probably was spying on you. Knew you were going to do this episode made you fall only to help you so that you would have positive opinions of him and spread their propaganda. Yeah, that, that checks out, if you ask yeah. me. Maybe. But, uh, yeah. Uh, so, yeah, John Bean was a English fascist activist, and when he was a teenager, he was kind of similarly to... He, 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 his political upbringing started when he was a teenager, and similarly to Mussolini, he started out as, like, a communist. He was interested in communism, but not for long. It faded away as quickly as it could because... Then soon after that, when he was a teenager, he began fighting in the in his country's military, and that caused his views to rapidly shift right. And uh, he was initially involved in something called the Union Movement, which was another far right party that was founded by Oswald Mosley. He left it when he realized it didn't have a chance to have any real impact on British politics any in any way, uh, which. That's a problem that like people in like part like, like in the U.S. It's it's it, there's always just these like major infighting in political parties that are like either to the left of the Democrats or to the right of the Republicans. We're like no no like it just it just gets they just really don't like to hear about like how like like they actually don't really have a chance, and they they do have more of a chance in Britain, but uh but I mean there is a thing called Duverger's Law, which is like a theory that. Just that even in a multi-party system, just the way the political landscape works effectively makes it a two-party system, which is why even in a, even when there's other like third parties with some political power in the UK, like they don't nearly have as much power as the main two parties, which, which kind of makes it effectively a de facto two-party system, but with with like benefits. Uh, so yeah, uh, yeah that, that makes sense because people, I think people like to vote for like a party that's legitimized. Yeah. Like that has a chance of winning and yeah. like because the Labors and the the Tories have like like are the biggest parties, people aren't gonna consider the smaller parties because they don't even think that they can win. Yeah. Even though there's 
still a possibility, like unlike in the U.S. where it's like not possible for a third party to win. Well, yeah, there, there are multiple members of the liberal Democrats. There's like, like I think like a couple, like a few tens of them there. Of course, the Scottish National Party, who hold yeah. a lot of the seats in Scotland, but still, uh, of course, other thing is that even in a multi-party system, it, it, it'll take, it, it would take like a major, like, populist movement to actually get fascism to like actually have electoral influence because that that doesn't really happen that much i mean hitler i mean he 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 did he did kind of actually get into power through electoralism but it 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 definitely wasn't as easy over in in uh in the british isles now yeah so so yeah he, he briefly after leaving this union movement he was actually briefly involved in uh his uh, he, he was briefly involved in his local branch of the Conservative Party, but he left that too because, well, he left that after a short period as well. And, and after a rut in his career just promoting fascism, he reemerged with the help of a man named Andrew Fontaine. He was another far-right activist who was just 361 votes away from unseating a Labour incumbent during the 1949 general election. but And he was running for Parliament as a member of the Conservative Party, not as a member of any fascist party but he 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 was a fascist he he was involved in these groups and he was 361 votes away from beating an incumbent and like serving as a lawmaker for in the in the top legislative body for the british government uh so yeah maybe voting actually does make a difference uh so so yeah when when so yeah um fontaine was anti-semitic uh and in a speech he referred to the labor party as quote semi-alien mongrels and hermaphrodite communists uh wow so yeah that that and i mean what i mean that is it's pretty hard to be all of them yeah um so his narrow loss likely happened due to his candidacy being disowned by the chairman of the conservative party um so yeah that, that that probably played a major role and we see some some of that stuff happening with like a lot of like the MAGA candidates who like lost winnable races in like swingish or even right-leaning jurisdictions during last year's midterm elections who basically blame the establishment because like oh they, they, they didn't they didn't try to help me out they left me for dead um but I mean there's a kind of a reason uh yeah I mean if they, yeah. I, I mean I mean w- would they rather be left for dead by the establishment or be given a lot of money to make ads where they make their, where they actually show more voters how unpalatable their candidacy is. I mean, like, un- unless they completely me make of, like, them... the political horseshoe effect. Well, not really. Um, that, that has to do with like, that, or are, are you confusing that with horseshoe theory? Cause that's a completely, that's not what we're talking about here. Well, no, basically you know how like they say like oh like you could be so right-winged that like you could be like almost like a leftist well like, that that if you're is fascist enough it almost comes off like oh you you want a dictator i guess but there are definitely a lot of flaws with the horseshoe theory thing that are often used by like centrists to try and like claim that people like aoc are actually fascists um and which is ridiculous um, yeah, I, I think the idea comes from Stalin governing similarly to a fascist, but I yeah. think that that doesn't really prove horseshoe theory, yeah. and more so proves that Stalin had more of a right wing 
um, political belief system yeah. instead of actually being super far left. I think that's what people look at it wrong and say like, oh, it's all – and it's what makes people like confused about politics because um, they think, well, well, Stalin was super bad, Hitler was super bad, and they're supposed to, supposedly the opposites on the ideological spectrum and yet did basically the same thing. Yeah, but I yeah, think it's just yeah. because Stalin was actually um, kind of – pretty much a fascist who just pretended to be a communist well, well yeah i mean really the thing is they were both authoritarians that was the main thing that they had in common was that they're authoritarians so yes so, Wait, so yeah. no, if, you, if stalin was here in america what political party would he have been a part of do you think? well i think that that just if we're going by like alternate history where like the history is completely different to the point that uh he ends up being born as a in america like his parents immigrate and he's raised here. He probably might end up in any party. No one really knows what would happen because it would it, in a completely different timeline. Anything. I think could the modern the modern day Stalin would probably be um, some sort of like terrorist or kind of extremist. He wouldn't fit into a Democrat or Republican party. Yeah. Um, because he would he would he uses left wing rhetoric like oh we're here to help everybody right but yeah. He, yeah. he really only creates a dictatorship versus. Like Hitler's like, we're here to, um, you know, purge the country of the weak and then create the dictatorship. So it's sort of, it's like two uh, two sides of the same coin. Yeah. And so it's, it's kind of complicated to fit it into like um, America because it's very different. Yeah. But yeah, um, we, of course, I, I do encourage banter here, but uh, we, we should try to focus more on, let's try to make sure we get more of this uh, document that I wrote read. So, uh. So yeah, I'll talk more about Andrew Fontaine, who we were just talking about in a bit. But uh, yeah, but right now we're talking about how both Andrew Fontaine and John Bean started writing a journal, uh, and it received attention from this man named A.K. Chesterton. He's a major hero to British fascists, along with Oswald Mosley, um, and he established an organization called the League of Empire Loyalists, which, like you're talking about before, it was a party uh, that, and it broke away from the Tories, and it supported maintaining the British Empire. Uh, it had a lot of weird beliefs, including how it believed that both communism and capitalist ca capitalism were Jewish conspiracies meant to un undermine the white race. Um, well, why do you think it's anti-Semitic? Like, why, why, why do they just blame the Jews? Um, well, because they're Nazis. I mean, they, they, uh, they, I, mean I, think... I mean, the Nazis, I mean, they need a scapegoat. Because I think yeah. Jew, Jewish with like the largest uh, minority group in uh, Europe, so that was where they like it was easiest to point the finger. Yeah, but yeah, like, but, people didn't really know what yeah. like people were just made uncomfortable by Jewish people because they were different, and that's why fascists usually tend to point the finger there. Yeah, but 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 also like Jewish people have been used as scapegoat long before the Nazis. Like like yeah, like the, there was like the blood libel conspiracy theory that goes to medieval times and even that has roots and some stuff that goes all the way back to the Roman era. Uh so yeah, that's always how it's been. Now so, so, so yeah, they, they this this the, the League of Empire loyalists, they believe that both communism and capitalism were Jewish conspiracies meant to underwent the right ways. White right ways. Oh my god, I I, I yeah. So, so Bean joined this organization after A.K. Chesterton gave his attention to his journal that he wrote with Fontaine. This journal was called The National Unity. Now, due to its lack of actual political activity, Bean eventually drifted away from the League of Empire Loyalists, just like he did with several other fascist parties like the Union Movement, which we mentioned before. He, he had had enough after Chesterton 
uh, sent Bean and another member of the LEL to the home of legendary English journalist Malcolm Muggeridge, which is a very British name, uh, authentically. Uh, and, and the two members, he sent them to the home of this journalist so the two members could throw soot at him because Muggeridge had criticized the Queen. Um, Bean eventually did not go through with not not he, he didn't go through with it and he thought it was childish and that the party should have been more involved in electoral politics rather than in pranks so he left so wait, what what uh what year is this um it was around the 1940s uh or 50s i mean i, I of course I, I wrote this a while ago it's been taking me a while to finally get it done but it was after world war ii because elizabeth was yeah yeah okay so, uh, yeah, yeah. So, so he left the LEL because he believed it was too immature and childish. Uh, he started his own party with Andrew Fontaine and called it the National Labor Party. Not the Labor Party, but the National Labor Party. Uh, they chose this name because they wanted to appeal to Labor Party supporters who, who opposed immigration. And that's going to be a major theme here. Uh, but, but, yeah, a few Labor Party members, I guess, opposed it too, and they, they, they wanted those people on their side. So Bean founded the NLP along with Fontaine and another guy named John Tyndall. John Tyndall is another prominent figure in the contemporary British far right, and the picture of him used on his official Wikipedia article is of him addressing a conference of British far right nationalists. Um, he is using a podium that is draped by a flag of the Union Jack, the flag of Great Britain, but in the background, you can see on the wall, uh, it, it, there hangs a Confederate flag. Huh. Oh, wow. the, the, this is in Brit Britain. It's a conference of British far right groups. It is a picture of the Confederate flag, like famously from the British Civil War, where the the American Civil War. I know, I know. That's 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 yeah. that's a joke. Yeah. Um. So so yeah. Uh. The, the also on the wall are people are, are pieces of paper saying "Free Speech for White Patriots." Uh. Oh wow. That, yeah. This I'll be honest. It feels a little like racist, almost. Like, yeah, it is. Yeah, a little bit. Yeah, it absolutely is. Not not even close to a little bit. Yeah. In a huge bit. So yeah. the NLP, they used the their logo was the Celtic cross. It is a sim. It is a symbol that shows a cross with a hollow circle superimposed on top of it. And for a long time, it was merely a Christian symbol that was just known to be used as for by Catholics in Ireland as well as in France and in the UK. Uh, but during the early and that was during the early Middle Ages, but in the mid 1800s, when there was sort of a Celtic revival, um, there was it, it was revived uh, when like Celtic folklore rebounded in popularity. But it also was revived as a white supremacist symbol, um, used uh, not 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 only by uh, the British fascists, but it's also frequently used by the KKK. Uh, and yeah, it, it's one now, of the KKK yeah. famously hated Irish immigrants. So well, yeah, is there, like is there any reason why they would um adopt sort of a celtic symbol and not like an anglican symbol well because fascists are very they, they love to to co-opt paganism oh yes oh yeah 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 Yeah. um so yeah, there's yeah, yeah. What? there's a there's a split between like christian and pagan fascists yeah right but it's i like mean of course group. of course they like the symbolism even the christian yeah. ones like the KKK. i was in um Arlington National Cemetery recently, and there was a, there's a lot of uh, stones, tombstones there that have Celtic crosses. Yeah. Um, but I, I assume that's probably just because the soldiers were Christian and not because the soldiers were well, because they're, white supremacists. They're I mean, Catholic. Some, probably, some of them probably were, but other like, Catholic. Yeah, yeah, but, yeah, some of them probably were, but who knows. So, yeah, um, 
so so the NLP made opposition to immigration. It's like basically its number one issue in the brief three years it existed before it dissolved in 1960. In 1958, they staunchly advocated for the reduction of the prison sentences of people convicted in the 1958 Notting Hill race riots. So we're about to get into all that. We have to kind of diverge into discussing this. Uh, I, I, I first learned about this while studying, um, and they're actually pretty important, even though I haven't learned known about this until recently. They took place around the same time as the American Civil Rights Movement, and it directly mirrors the kind of racial violence we saw in the American South around that time, and even in some places in the American North as well. The riots were triggered by a series of events at a train station in the London borough of North Kensington. Now, this woman named Mybrit Morrison, she was a woman of, she was a woman of Swedish origin, and she was in the middle of an argument with her husband, Raymond Morrison, who was a Jamaican immigrant. This, this wasn't, this argument did end violently, but not as like, a, as not like a domestic violence, like an abusive relationship. The relationship was not abusive. This was not a argument that resulted in physical assault. Like it was just a regular argument, but it did end up yeah. violent. And I'll explain how. Because uh, there were a, a bunch of white gang members who saw them arguing, and they tried to intervene, and that resulted in a brawl between these white gang members and several of Raymond's friends. Uh, now, it is commonly accepted that these gang members were uh, followers of a subculture known as, I'm not kidding, is what they're actually called, the Teddy Boys. Uh, the, yeah, they were a subculture from the UK in the 50s and 60s. They were primarily young, white, working class people who enjoyed American rock and roll music. Uh, it started out as a benevolent movement, but it eventually just got in, violence became a major component of it. And in fact, the gang from A Clockwork Orange was actually inspired by these people. Is it called the Teddy Boys because of Roosevelt, uh, Theodore? No, I don't think so. Okay. Yeah, but, but but yeah, they inspired the gang from A Clockwork Orange, so that's probably the most famous thing about them. But uh, in addition to having eventually incorporating violence into their subculture, they also eventually incorporated racism as well, even though they were big fans of a music genre that was created by African Americans. Um, yeah, the racism part emerged in 1956 when uh, an American-made film called Blackboard Jungle, which uh, was about... Uh, a Caucasian English teacher teaching students in an inner city school, and it was notably the breakout role for Sidney Poitier, one, often ranked as one of the greatest, not just one of the greatest African-American actors, but also one of the greatest American actors in general. Um, and, and this was his breakout film. It was from 1956. Um, and uh, yeah, it was shown in a British cinema, and several teddy boys rioted because of that. They ransacked the theater, and then, and then these kind of... Uh, caused a chain reaction that led to more riots, caused more Teddy Boy-led riots occurring across the country and other areas where the movie was being shown. Um, now, the emergence of racism within the subculture eventually led to Oswald Mosley's union movement and other far-right groups, such as the White Defense League, which is just kind of laughably stupid of a name. Like, I mean, come on, the White Defense League? <laughs> Uh, yeah, that's yeah, tough. yeah. It, it led Oswald Mosley's movement, union movement, and the White Defense League to take advantage of the Teddy Boys' racism and to ultimately introduce them to a thing they were interested in called fascism. When these Teddy Boys interfered with the personal lives of My Britain Raymond Morrison, things began to go to shit. Now, the day after the gang members interfered with the with the couple's dispute, uh, several Teddy Boys later recognized My Britain on another occasion, and they assaulted her and reportedly threw milk bottles 
at her and they called her a black a quote black man's trollop uh what what is that supposed to mean dude like i don't know in fact i, I don't even know what trollop means let me go look up the definition um but also just to say like 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 she in, in and of herself was not black right no her husband was right right and then these guys are coming out and being like they're, they're not even like being racist in a way of like you are black and i don't like you it's like huh you're 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 the trollop of a black man therefore i'm degrading you for choices you made it's interesting because like fascists they hate um they almost hate like what they would call race traitors like yeah. like white people aren't racist almost just as much as they hate um people of color like other races yeah, yeah. Yeah, um, and, uh, yeah, apparently Trollop is basically, like, an old-timey way of saying slut, but, uh, we also, of course, I record the recordings to stop audio delay problems, so I'm gonna have to stop, and each recording of the recording only goes for 30 minutes, so we're about to end the current one and start a new one, and we'll be right back. Boom. Like, right, okay, and we are back. (laughs) Yeah, so, uh, yeah, so... A later report stated that these gang members may have attacked Mybert Morrison with an iron bar, so it was serious. Um, yeah, all of this resulted in a race riot that was started by a few hundred young whites where West Indian immigrants were terrorized for the color of their skin. And keep in mind that West Indian does not mean from Western India. It primarily, like, refers to, like, like black people from the Caribbean, uh, which, like, from the areas known as the West Indies. Uh, I'm not, are you familiar with that terminology? Yeah, yeah, like, the, the West Indies, it's like, um... Like in North America? Yeah, it's in the Caribbean. Oh, Caribbean. Is, uh, yeah, in South America. Or, well, it's in the Americas. America. It's kind of its own yeah. region. So, yeah, these West Indian immigrants were terrorized for the color of their skin, and uh, both white and black people were convicted for the violence. Uh, and John Bean's National Labor Party wanted the white ones freed. Just just the white ones. Um, yeah. Kiki, you're still here, right? Yeah, yeah, okay, yeah. Okay, yeah, just, just making sure. So the NLP actually did run some candidates for political office, but mainly for, not for parliament, but rather for the London City Council. They pulled off decent results, even though they never won. Um, some have theorized that people confused the National Labor Party for the regular Labor Party, but this almost certainly was not the case because ballot papers back then only listed the candidates by name, and they did not list the parties. So yeah, that it was. They just got some votes from. I mean, sometimes just things, weird things happen, and people do better than they have any right to in elections. Um. So, in 1959, after they had a few impressive electoral showings, they held a rally at Trafalgar Square in London. So at the rally, banners were displayed that read "Keep Britain White," and the official name of of the rally was "Stop the Colored Invasion." And of course, colored is spelled C. O L O U R E D. That has to be the worst thing about that. Yeah. <laughs> so they may also have been fr- have been briefly linked to the London Mafia. Um. Now, and, and and that actually isn't. It actually isn't necessarily weird for fascism and organized crime to overlap. There was a lot, of, like a lot of the people involved in like the early days of the Yakuza, the the Japanese mob, were very well connected with the like Brit- with the Japanese fascists. Like there was a lot of connection, um. So so yeah, the the London Mafia, uh, and and yeah, mainly mainly what happened was that uh, Albert Dimes, who was a 
Scottish gangster from London's Little Italy. He was of Italian descent, but he was from London and or he's from Scotland, but he lived in London. Uh, and he, he hoped to use the NLP against one of his main rivals named Jack Comer, also known by his nickname Jack Spot. Comer was born to Polish Jewish refugees and grew up in a predominantly Jewish ghetto. So you can tell why the NLP wouldn't like this guy. Uh, Is he Jewish in and of its himself? Or? Yes, obviously. He was born to Polish Jewish <sighs> okay. refugees and grew up in a predominantly Jewish ghetto. So, uh, yeah. I could not find anything that says whether or not Dimes was actually successful in using the NLP against Jack Comer. But, but another guy named Burt Rossi, who is a close friend and crime associate of Comer, disputes that Dimes ever tried to use the DLP against Jewish gangsters at all. Uh, the, the NLP, uh, they only had a member of their party stand for parliament once. Uh, that was in 1959 when a man named Bill Webster, who's a former boxer, stood for the St. Pancras North constituency, which is now defunct, and it's based in, it was based in northern, the northern part of Greater London. Uh, Bill Webster ran against Labour incumbent Kenneth Robinson, and he ended up coming in third behind Robinson and his conservative challenger, David Mitchell. Um, he got only 4% of the vote, but he did make himself a little notable because during the campaign, members of the National Labour Party attacked a local town hall where Robinson was speaking. Um, it definitely didn't help the NLP gain support, but it did help them gain, gain attention, which is what their true goal is, to gain attention. So it may have been too little too late because Bean and some other members were arrested, and a few, including Bean, were actually incarcerated. Uh, now, and... Oh, and in, in the wake of this town hall disaster, John Tyndall, the guy we mentioned earlier who was like posing, who was in that picture of the Confederate flag, uh, he actually resigned from the party in the wake of this town hall. Um, and all of this ultimately led to its dissolution in 1960. But it, and it was eventually emerged with the aforementioned White Defense League um, to become the British National Party in 1960. Now, this is not to be confused with a party of the same name that was actually founded by John Tyndall in 1982 that was also called the British National Party. Um, it was named after this one that was founded in 1960, but it's not the same thing. Um, it was barely connected to it. And the 1982, the party that was founded in 1982 actually had modest electoral success. It once held, it, at one point it had held seats in the London Assembly and even the European Parliament. Um, the, uh, but that is not, but while they did have electoral success, that cannot be said about this other, the, the first British National Party, because it did not. Um, it adopt, this party adopted the new motto for race and nation, which is like the most generic. It's like, it's like, like if you like just ask, chat gpt to make a fascist yeah. slogan uh, so and yeah he made the hq of this new party the former home of arnold lease he was the leader of the imperial fascist league one of the first ever british fascist organizations now they pledged and, to a, so at this point like what do these people think about the empire because the empire is gone at this point right it's the common i guess they just mostly their main focus is on immigration they, they, immigration, they, yeah. they want it britain to remain as white as possible so they, no, they, but what do they think about the European Union then? I'm not really sure. Um, I, I I've studied a lot for this, and I never really got anything about yeah. that. Um, but consider, but I mean, it's uh, they they probably oppose it just because I mean, people like I mean, I mean mainly people who are like very left wing or very right wing in the UK are most likely to support uh, or to oppose the European Union, but. Predominantly, it's the far right people who yeah. oppose it. 
um, like more unanimously. So yeah, so so this, so this uh, party believed that uh, the, the, they pledged to oppose the quote international Jewish controlled money lending system and believe that all immigration, whether legal or illegal, should be banned, and that immigrants who had already settled in the UK should be repatriated back to their home countries. Um, they believe that the conservative government that was in power at the time should have been impeached for not stopping all immigration from happening. So they're like, let's just impeach this entire government. Because I guess you can kind of, I guess it seems like that's possible in the UK, but it seems weird from a US perspective. Um, yeah. I mean, because well, in the US, yeah. like technically, it's still one continuing government yeah. throughout like all the presidents, whereas in like a parliamentary system, like every time there's a new election, there's technically a new government. Yeah, honestly, I think that in America, if, if there ever is a successful impeachment of a president, there should like it, it should be like the impeachment of the president and and the dissolution of their government, where like they can like have like some they can have someone to serve uh, on an interim basis until the next election happens, like yeah, someone who doesn't plan to serve a full term. Uh, technically, like canonically, it's been one U.S. government since the beginning. Yeah. Whereas, like in Britain, every new election. They dissolve the government and create a new government. Well, yeah, I, I, it's, it's I, a, like, I, it's yeah. a distinction. Yeah, mainly what I'm saying is just that I think that like if if there ever is a successful impeachment, they shouldn't just let the vice president become president. They should like replace yeah. the entire cabinet because I mean, if Trump was successfully impeached, what 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 do you really get out of that other than like relief that he was impeached and the fact that Mike Pence is now president? Like, what's yeah, what's wouldn't really, do anything. Yeah, corruption wouldn't stop. Yeah, yeah. Um. So yeah. The, the, so uh. Unlike many other neo-Nazi groups, especially those who are that are active today, the British National Party did not oppose the Zionist movement. They supported it, kind of. Uh, they supported. They didn't like support it exactly, but they they did support the idea of all Jews being sent to Israel because they wouldn't have to be around Jewish people at all. Yeah. Or, like in 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 Europe, they didn't want like the, they think the only way to get all the Jews out of Europe is to just give them a home to be in and never leave. And it was similar. They're, they're also in like the U S like during like the, the 1800s. And there, there were some people who were like committed abolitionists specifically because they slavery meant black people would be in the U S but like that's, and they opposed slavery because of that. Right. Uh, so yeah. Um, they also signaled support for reviving the Madagascar plan, which was, uh, and which was the initial plan by the Nazis to deport, all Jews to Madagascar, although it eventually failed, obviously. Um, the new BNP got off to a rough start because it had a lack of... It, 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 it did not have the funds necessary to function. Most of what they did do was just hold protests and also hold counter-protests, such as holding a demonstration at railway stations where trains containing immigrants were arriving. They also held counter-protests across or against the anti-apartheid movement uh, and held a rally in opposition to that year's Lord Mayor's Show. Yeah, uh... It's very much a British thing, not something we have in America. Uh, it's an annual event held in London where each year a new Lord Mayor is appointed. And uh, to clear some stuff up, the Lord Mayor of London is not the same thing as the Mayor of London. They are elected differently. I mean, I mean the Mayor, Lord Mayor of London isn't actually even elected at all. Um, they perform different duties, and the regular position of Mayor has only been around since the latter half of the 20th century, while the Lord Mayor position has been around since the 12th century, like during the medieval era. Uh, and uh, it's it's even more complicated than that. Like that that doesn't actually describe it enough. But we don't have to get into all of that. Yeah. 
the main reason why I bring it up is because that the, the, because uh in uh this certain year it was like around the fifties or sixties um the Lord Mayor show uh crowned uh the person they crowned as Lord Mayor was a Jewish businessman by the name of Bernard Whaley Cohen and there was protests by members of the British National Party against this uh now the party His name had, sounds Jewish yeah. Um, well, I mean, the Whaley doesn't, but the Cohen does, and I guess the Bernard yeah, does. Even though Bernard's Bernard. not a name of Jewish origin, it's it's mostly given to Jewish people, I guess, now. Um, yeah. So, yeah, the party had little name recognition, but they, but despite that, they managed to receive 8.1% of the vote in the district of Deptford during the 1960 London County Council election. Now, just so you know, the London County Council no longer exists. It, in 1965, it was replaced by the Greater London Council, which itself no longer exists. Well, which itself, because it was replaced by its current iteration, which is the Greater London Authority. Now, the BNP even established a youth wing. They called it the National Youth Movement, and it was led by Richard Hilton, who was also the leader of another far-right party called the Patriotic Party, uh, which does kind of remind me, I like there have been like some propositions by Trump supporters who think that the, the GOP is too full of rhinos to start a new party called the Patriot Party. <laughs> um. They're not doing themselves any favors because th that's the kind of like the patriotic party that was led by British fascists is kind of what it sounds like. Um, yeah, no, the name is kind of similar. Yeah. Um, so around the time that the BNP was starting to rise in its notability, there were rumors circulating around that it was being funded by German neo-Nazi groups. These rumors have never been proven, and it's more likely that it was mainly funded by Font Andrew Fontaine's personal wealth. Now, one of the P BNP's main figureheads was John Tyndall, again, the, the guy with the Confederate flag. He started, he actually started a paramilitary wing of the party, and it was called Spearhead. He founded it alongside Colin Jordan, who himself was the founder of the White Defense League. Uh, the terrible name, a terrible, uh, I guess Spearhead's not a bad name for a paramilitary group, but the White Defense League is a terrible name for a white supremacist group. Uh, now, one of the organizations... Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, yeah, yeah. Uh, so Bean and other party members did not approve of Tyndall and Jordan's paramilitary group, for that matter. Uh, they, uh, they, they, they uh, expelled Tyndall and Jordan from the party because of their disapproval. Um, but Tyndall and Jordan did continue to be active within British, within Britain's burgeoning fascist movement. Now, the two didn't like each other either. Jordan has said that he only helped found the paramilitary group to get Tyndall out of the way. And beginning in 1961, the BNP started hosting summer camps for adult fascists. Summer camps for adults, yeah. Um, and it, it was held on Fontaine's property. Uh, these eventually turned into international events where delegates from other countries participated, including from the National States Rights Party of the Southern United States, which was one of many segregationist American political parties founded during the civil rights era, but also delegates from the Nordic Reich Party, which was a Swedish neo-Nazi party. <coughs> now, Oswald Mosley himself actually approached uh, Colin Jordan and John Bean in 1962. He offered them positions as organizers within his organization, but the two declined. Now, just like with pretty much every fascist movement, and a lot of the parties are mentioned here, and we've already kind of brought it up, there was infighting within the BNP. This is primarily because John Bean actually cared about his party being successful, and he saw the fact that Jordan and Tyndall openly supported Nazism as a barrier to any potential success. Uh, whether it was electoral or not. Tyndall once said, quote, 
Hitler was right. Uh, yeah, that, that's, he said that. Um, uh, and all I can say is that if you're going to found a neo-Nazi party, expect its members to be neo-Nazis. <laughs> Why do you... I feel like a lot of people just found parties because they're like they want to appeal to a certain group of people. Is that is that the case? Kind of, yeah. Uh, yeah. I, I wouldn't say wrong about that. So I'm yeah, uh, <laughs> yeah. We're gonna say something. I was just gonna say that I notice it happening yeah. a lot on yeah. this podcast. Is people just like are like, oh, there's a group of people that yeah. uh, want a leader and. It doesn't matter whether I agree with them or not. I'm going to be their leader, and I'm going to start that political party just for them. Yeah. Also, you can see like all these people are jumping around. Like at the beginning, we're talking about like the guy who was the conservative, yeah, and then he was in the Labour Party, and then he started the fascist party. Like a lot of people, they want power and they can't find their way in. Like Donald Trump was a Democrat, and he couldn't really find his way in until he started running as a Republican. You know, it's it's sort of like like a lot of the like the leaders of a lot of fascist movements don't really have ideology yeah and they just sort of want power yeah like i mentioned like i mentioned before like john bean who we're talking about as well as benito mussolini both initially just got the start in political activity as communists so yeah um so so but so eventually because of uh the open embrace of nazism by colin jordan um there was a, in yeah because of that in february 1902 when the organization's national council met Bean presented a resolution to condemn Colin Jordan's open embrace of Nazism. And surprisingly, the resolution actually passed, and it was with a it passed with a seven to five majority, yes to no. Um, and mo most members of the party were on Bean's side, with a small few supported Jordan and Tyndall split with the BNP, and they formed a new organization, which they called the National Socialist Movement, which might be a worse name than the White Defense League, because I mean, like, yeah, the, I mean, I mean, it's one thing if you want to, like openly embrace nazism it's another thing to just basically steal the name of their ideology yeah uh so yeah th they could be as nazi as they wanted to in this new organization but uh it was founded on april 20th 1962 not because tyndall and jordan were potheads but because april 20th was hitler's birthday um all i can say is i mean it was founded on april 20th 1962 they couldn't they have waited like couldn't they have waited seven years why didn't they wait seven they should years have, yeah would have been really funny. Yeah. Um, so now behind the bastards, we mentioned that they uh, had a great have a great two parter on uh, on uh, Oswald Mosley, but they also have a fantastic three party or about kind of America's equivalent to Oswald Mosley, George Lincoln Rockwell. He was the founder of the American Nazi Party and may actually be and despite not being British or a member of this party or even British at all, he was actually may have been the reason why the British National Party split up. Um, there, there was an American Nazi party. Yep. Uh, yeah, but uh, yeah, George Lincoln Rockwell's was the most notable one. But yeah, I'll explain how he maybe the reason why the British National Party split. He had written a letter to Jordan where he spoke positively about the BNP, but he expressed disappointment with the lack of open Nazi sentiment within the party. So the NSM's, which is the National Socialist Movement, the NSM's activities included setting up displays that said, quote, free Britain from Jewish control, and they also incited a riot by, after, by giving a speech at Trafalgar Square. And during the speech, Jordan made comments where he praised Hitler, and Tyndall made comments where he compared Jews to poisonous maggots. Both of these led to jail stints for the two of them. Um, and, uh, yeah. Good. They, they were also heard by local Jewish activists and members of the British Communist Party. 
The NSM aimed to reestablish the spearhead paramilitary organization, but due to supervision by the Metropolitan Police, they couldn't do that. A news story released during the aftermath of this Trafalgar riot, uh, and it was by the, the Sunday People, um, and it exposed spearhead, and it eventually led to the British government suspending the travel permits of people who sought to attend an NSM-sponsored conference that was held in August 1962. One of the only neo-Nazis who managed to bypass these restrictions was none other than George Lincoln Rockwell. He had came in through Ireland, but he actually was spotted and turned himself in before he could attend the conference. Uh, so yeah, he, he got farther than most others, but he was ultimately unsuccessful. And because of this, the, because of all these factors, the conference did not end up happening. Instead, the World Union of National Socialists which is an umbrella organization from, for neo-Nazi groups from around the world, held a conference instead. Jordan was named the world Führer of this organization, and Rockwell was named as his immediate successor. Uh, <coughs> soon after this organization was, was uh, established, police raided the NSM's London headquarters. And during the raid, police found weapons like guns and knives, as well as Nazi insignia and memorabilia, as well as cans of weed killer that had their labels changed to say Jew killer. <laughs> Jesus. Yeah. Yeah, that, that, that's, that's, they did that. There's no denying that they did that. Uh, Jew killer. Uh. So the six founding members of the National Socialist Movement, and what, Kiki, you're here, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. I'm, I'm still amazed by Jew killer. Is that, like, a positive connotation? No, absolutely not. They put it on a can of weed killer. Oh, okay. Like, because yeah. like, the chemicals and, like, and the, the gassing and the yeah. Holocaust, right? Yeah, and then there's no possible yeah. positive connotation for something called Jew killer. Right, well, but it's, it's I mean... That's, it's sort of to label some. I mean, I would I would say Hitler was a Jew killer. Well, yeah, yeah but uh, I mean. Oh, oh, geez. no, no, no! It's like yeah. the can't like it's like um, like the the weed. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Hitler think, was the weapon. Yeah, I think he. Oh, okay, but uh, they're so, not phrasing. Okay, but, weed killer because it, yeah. But yeah, the, the, it it was an anti-Semitic connotation. So connotation. So the six founding members of the NSM were arrested and served brief jail sentences after their headquarters was raided. Um, and one of the members gave the Nazi salute while they were being led out of the court. Uh, so just like the BNP, the NSM also ended up splitting due to infighting. Who would have guessed? And the split involves a surprising player, that being French fashion heiress Francois Dior, the niece oh of Christian God, Dior. French. Yeah, Christian Dior's niece Francois. Uh, or Francoise, that might be the way you say it if it's a woman, but, 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 but yeah, um, you, you know, you're really desperate when you have to let French people into your movement. <laughs> yeah. I mean, yeah, that's what the Germans did, man. <laughs> yeah. So Francoise had links to the NSM, uh, and through those links, she and Colin Jordan eventually began a relationship while Jordan was in prison. She cheated on him and had a brief romantic involvement with John Tyndall because Tyndall was released from prison earlier than Jordan. But upon Jordan's release, she kind of abandoned Tyndall and started and re restarted a relationship with Jordan. So on October 5th, 1963, Dior and Francoise and Colin Jordan were married. Um, they partook in a ceremony where the two allowed one drop of blood each to drop onto a copy of Hitler's book, Mein Kampf. 
Oh, that's so creepy. That's some cult shit right there. Yeah. Imagine like like you're just like I don't know, you're like their second cousin or some shit, and you get like invited to the wedding. You think yeah. it's be normal? Just, why, why are you letting this blood? What are you doing? Why, 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 why like, do you have like, this book? Like, instead of you may kiss the bride, they like instead they like whip out knives and they just cut their arms, start bleeding out the mind comp. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, do you plan to read that? Um, no. Uh, so, yeah, the couple separated just three months after they got married. Um, they eventually divorced soon after that, but it helped strengthen the rift between uh, between um, between. I accidentally wrote it strengthened the, the rift between Colin and Jordan, but I meant to say between Tyndall and Jordan. Tyndall started to mimic uh, John Bean and his criticism of Jordan's open Nazism. Eventually, he started to have an issue with that too even though Tyndall was one of the main purveyors of open Nazism within this movement. So at a conference hosted by the NSM in April, 1964, uh, Tyndall made a demand that uh, he made a demand that control of the NSM be handed entirely to him. Uh, so yeah, not, not really helping there. Uh, and on May 11th, 1964, because of all this stuff, John Tyndall was expelled from the national socialist movement. Um, he claimed it was Jordan who was expelled by him so he could consolidate control of the party within his hands, but he was expelled. That's what happened. Uh, not, he's, he's really proven himself to be a bad liar. At some point, Tyndall abandoned the National Socialist Movement and took most of the party members along with him to split off and form the new Greater Britain Movement. It was established in August 1964. And before we get to that, we, we should actually talk about the the small amount of electoral activity that the NSM actually did take part in during the home stretch of its existence. This was during the 1964 UK general election and the NSM campaigned in the Smethwick constituency that we mentioned before uh, for, uh, and the, the campaign, they, they actually they didn't run a candidate, but they did campaign for a candidate. And that was Peter Griffiths. He was a conservative candidate and was running against the incumbent. How did Peter Griffin get in on this? No, no. Uh, I mean, he, he's always been kind of suspect. Um, yeah. But yeah, but, but yeah, Griffiths was running against the incumbent Labour MP. Uh, and not just, and yeah, the, the incumbent Labour MP was Patrick Gordon Walker. It wasn't just an MP, he was also the shadow foreign secretary. Um, now, the far right saw, uh, he, he, he saw this guy as being responsible for high rates of immigration. And, and, because of that, they essentially supported the conservative candidate running against him because they thought that it, like, the main imperative was to get rid of this guy uh, rather than like rather than anything else. Um, so, uh, yeah, so Colin Jordan put up posters supporting Peter Griffith's candidate campaign with slogans such as if you quote, if you want a N word for a neighbor, vote labor. <laughs> Uh, Yo, that's one hell of a slogan. I'm not gonna lie. Yeah, um, you're not exactly. I mean, it rhymes. Is is all I'm gonna say. But wow, that's yeah. So this was somewhat unorthodox for people like Jordan, who saw both Labour and the Tories as enemies. Uh, In previous political campaigns, they use the slogan just they use the slogan "Don't vote." A vote for Tory, Labour, or Liberal is a vote for more blacks. Uh, Jesus, that didn't even rhyme, dude. Yeah, Yeah, they got it better the second time. (laughs) Yeah, so this slogan uh, contained the slogan that contained the N word. It was defended by Colin Jordan. He said, "I should think that that is a manifestation of the popular feeling. I would not condemn anyone who said that. 
I would say that is how people in, see the situation in Smithwick. I fully understand the feelings of the people who say it. I would say it is exasperation, not fascism. Uh, yeah. So the NSM engaged in, a pub in publicity stunts also while they campaigned for Griffiths, such as when a member dressed up as a monkey and another member dressed up as a character from the black and white minstrel show, which is exactly what you think it is, and attempting to re and, they, and they attempted to register for the election as Patrick Gordon Walker, the race-mixing candidate. Um, I don't even, that doesn't even make sense. You're trying to register as someone else while disguised as a, in blackface and as a monkey? It doesn't make sense. No. I mean, yeah, Patrick Gordon Walker is a real person, but unfortunately, Patrick Gordon Walker, who is a real person, lost his seat to Peter Griffiths, and this caused enough shenanigans to, for, for, for this election for one single parliamentary seat that occurred almost 60 years ago to have its own Wikipedia page. Um, in the aftermath of Griffiths' victory, a British branch of the KKK was formed. So, I mean, it, it, it definitely exists. Like, it, it doesn't just exist in the American South, but, like, it exists, the, it, it has had a major presence in Indiana, it's had a major presence in California, in Oregon, and Maine, and also in Canada. And it eventually, I mean, it eventually made it to other parts of the world, the KKK. Um, and uh, several, uh, because of this, several black Britons found small burning crosses in their mailboxes. Now, despite... Uh, How does it not burn the mailbox? I, I don't know. I, I, I really do not know. Yeah, just, do you think, like, uh, when I was, like, not real, like, painted on fire? Because that would know. burn all the mail. The mailboxes are, like, even if it's made of, like, metal, like... Yeah. I I mean, does it mean burnt that. crosses? Like, Maybe, but I, I wrote down burning crosses probably because I that was what the source I used said. So, yeah. Uh, so, yeah um, now... Even what was really hurts about Peter Griffiths winning, defeating his incumbent, is that that was kind of an outlier among the overall election because um, Labour flipped multiple seats, and that was enough to flip the British government from Tory control, and they, and and, and uh, a Labour government was established. And we'll discuss that right after this break, because this other our second half hour is about to end, and we are back again. So yeah. So the new Labour Prime Minister, Harold Wilson, and actually called, like, he actually made a comment on Peter Griffiths. He called him, quote, a parliamentary leper. I, I wouldn't disagree with him there. Um, now, Walker, uh, he, Patrick Gordon Walker actually did try to re-enter Parliament in 1950, 1965 during a by-election, which was held in the constituency of Leighton in East London after the, uh, after the incumbent was elevated to the House of Lords. Now... I'm sorry, at this time, the Labour Party was still socialist, right? He kind of. Harold Wilson, uh, he, he definitely was one of the most left-wing prime ministers ever. But but also keep in mind, like, it's kind of shifted like in, in multiple directions over time. Like, I mean, like, it went from, like, currently it's more of a centrist, but, like, then it yeah. but previously it was under Corbyn. But before that, it was under, like, Tony Blair, who was, like, kind yeah, of but, a Bill Clinton yeah. type. Right. Like an Orthodox, player yeah. took out the word socialism from the party. Yeah, uh, yeah, I've I've read about that. Yeah, but so, uh, but yeah, yeah, yeah. He was like the Bill Clinton of the UK, but he, but uh, with, with I'm gonna give credit to Bill Clinton and say that unlike Clinton, Tony Blair never managed to become a reformed Orthodox rabbi. Uh, that's true. Yeah. yeah. Um. So, uh. Yeah. Um. So, so yeah. Th this constituency that Patrick Gordon Walker tried to re-enter Parliament in, which uh, Leighton in East London, uh, it was safe Labour. It was like considered a safe seat for Labour. 
but this guy was pretty unlucky. So in another shocking, shocking loss, Walker failed to win the seat, even though it usually being safe for labor candidates, kind of like, kind of like how in, in 2010, like the Republicans like won a special election for the U S Senate in Massachusetts. It's kind of like that. Okay. Uh, so yeah. I, so, so yeah, th- this led to a, and, and after all the shenanigans happened, um, Malcolm X himself made a brief visit to, to Smethick. Uh, he, he visited just days before he returned to, or j- j- the, like, okay. Yeah, yeah. He visited. And then when he returned to New York, just days later, he would be assassinated. Wow. Um, yeah. Griffiths would eventually himself lose reelection to a labor candidate in 1966. So I guess Walker got the last laugh and, uh, would later la- that year in 1966, he would actually write a memoir where he argued that South Africa, which was then during the, in its apartheid era was a quote model parliamentary democracy. And that quote apartheid, if it could be separated from racialism could well be an alternative to integration. How can you separate it from la- from racialism? Yeah. What is that? Who would you be a parting? I don't well, a fucking Aquaman. Oh my God. Um, yeah. So, uh, he, he, yeah, uh, he doesn't know what apartheid is, but, uh, yeah, um, Peter Griffiths would actually also unfortunately return to parliament in 1979 before he lost his seat in 1997. So in addition to the growing rift between Tyndall and Jordan, it was the 1964 Smethic election that helped the NSM fall apart, like the entire party fall apart. So in 1965, Jordan went up on stage to interrupt a public meeting that was being addressed by labor MP Dennis Healy. Um, and it resulted in Healy, a future deputy leader of the Labor Party and chancellor of the Exchequer, which is a high position. I don't really know what it means, uh, what what it does, but it's a high up position. So, yeah, th- th- this this MP, after Jordan uh, went up on the stage he was speaking on, got annoyed and kind of justifiably punched Jordan. Uh, and I think he was right to do that. But, yeah, after this, several NSM members were arrested due to accusations of burning synagogues and other crimes. Even Francoise Dior was among those from the party who were imprisoned. Uh, And in January 1967, Jordan himself was imprisoned under new legislation that was designed to improve race relations. What helped cause his arrest was the fact that he he was distributing a pamphlet by the title of The Colored Invasion. Now, we're actually going to go backwards and go back to the Greater Britain movement which was the NSM successor. We're going to return to that. Uh, it was named after a 1932 book by Oswald Mosley himself. Uh, and the GBM was founded by Tyndall. And he and T- Tyndall believed that Jordan's open Nazism was going too far, even though he was an open Nazi too. Um, and he called for, quote, a more British solution. Uh, yeah, like I mentioned before, they're trying to make fascism authentically British. Uh now, the GBM published its own magazine, which was named Spearhead, and it was named after the paramilitary group. The magazine stated that the GBM would adhere, quote, without fear and without compromise to every tenet of the National Socialist Creed, albeit in a manner more in touch with British affairs and more in touch and, and much more in touch with British interests and aims. Uh, okay, you still call yourself National Socialist. That means you're a Nazi. Um, yeah. So basically, it's just like de-Germanizing. Yeah. Nazism. Yeah. So Tyndall wanted a British government based around racialism, corporatism, and the principle of leadership. So clearly, the whole capitalism is a Jewish conspiracy meant to undermine the white race thing has kind of gone away since he wants corporatism. 
So yeah. he wanted this hypothetical state to be the end of Britain's liberal democracy, uh, in which decisions would be ratified by referendums, even though I think referendums is the most liberal democratic thing you can do. Uh, like if you actually have po you actually have policies like 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 voted on like laws of, like altered by citizens voting on them. Well, doesn't it technically you need to have representatives in order in I order guess. for it to be considered but, a liberal government? Well, I, I don't know. I mean, I think that that, that, refers, democracy, but... that refers to a representative democracy. Yeah. Uh, okay. But 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 yeah. Um. But I mean, also that this this he, this guy doesn't want. I mean, he doesn't want any democracy really. But he does want yeah. referendums, and I mean, I'm not really sure. I, I guess, think he's probably just saying that just so that the people don't yeah. think that he'll be a dictator when he probably would be. Yeah. So the GBM strongly advocated for the outlawing of interracial relationships. Um, they supported eugenicist measures that would prevent those with hereditary defects, as they called them, from having children. He argued for measures that would prevent... Oh, sorry, I already mentioned that. Um, he argued for his eugenicist position by saying, quote, For the protection of British blood, racial laws will be enacted forbidding marriage between Britons and non-Aryans. There it is, Aryans. Uh, Medical measures will be taken to prevent procreation on the part of all those who have hereditary defects, either racial, mental, or physical. So he's, he's calling being not white a hereditary defect. Um, a pure, strong, healthy British race will be regarded as the principal guarantee of Britain's future. Uh, would, yeah, that's not really far off from what the Nazis were saying, but okay. So... The Greater Britain movement, unlike some of the other parties, did not at all get involved in electoral politics, and they rather focused just on committing crimes and publicity stunts. An example of those was when Martin Webster, who was a close ally of John Tyndall, attempted to assault Kenyan President Jomo Kenyatta. Uh, so, yeah, they, they, they incited the... This was, this was in, in the Kenyan president came to Britain? I assume so. That's probably what I think yeah. happened. So, so the Greater Britain movement incited the ire of several anti-fascist activists. Um, one of one of them actually shot at Tyndall five times, um, and uh, it, it appears all of them missed, unfortunately. Uh, but uh, T Tyndall converted a small shop, and he, he took it and converted it into the GBM's HQ. Uh, it was frequently visited by members of other British fascist groups, and some of them were actually made uncomfortable by all the guns and Nazi memorabilia on the walls of his headquarters. However, yeah, I'd be pretty uncomfortable. I'll be yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, you, but you also shouldn't be there at all. There's no reason for you to be there. <laughs> yeah, that's also yeah. true. So, so the GBM did, however, gradually drift away from outright Nazism and they and towards Tyndall's idea of a uniquely British form of fascism. In the summer of 1966, the GBM ended up growing close to the prominent British fascist A. K. Chesterton, uh, um, and Chesterton helps convince the uh helps uh convince the uh, National Front, which was the organization that absorbed the British National Party, he, he, uh, Chesterton convinced this organization to allow members of the Greater Britain movement to, to merge with it, uh, even though they were previously rejected for their more open embrace of Nazism. After this, the, the, the Greater Britain movement effectively ceased to exist, and that is where the National Front comes into the story. We have drifted away from discussion of the British National Party or the BNP, so let's get back to them before we finish. Um, so in 1963, with Tyndall and Jordan out of the party, the BNP was low on funds, and although they acquired more local support, uh, it, that wasn't enough. So in the 1963 local elections, the BNP actually did stand two candidates for parliament, 
Um, and one of them actually received 13.5% of the vote and the other 27.5% of the vote. Um, this, this, all of this actually inspired John Bean to actually stand for parliament himself. And, and he ran in South Hall, which is a suburban area of greater London in Middlesex County. Um, Bean's political platform was to end what he referred to as colored immigration, although white immigration is fine to him, I guess. I'm not really sure, actually. He might not like it when, like, people from other white countries come in. I, I don't know, though. Um, he, he also, part of his platform was only offering national assistance to immigrants if they agree to be repatriated after receiving it. Uh, repatriated, I mean? Sent, like, deported. Oh, shit. Oh, okay. yeah. Um, so... Bean received 9% of the vote in this election, and at the time, that was the best ever showing for a parliamentary candidate running on a racialist ticket. Um, even though, um, although it, it appears that the, the candidates who got like double digits surpassed that. Um, so the financial woes of the BNP didn't go away. And that's where the National Front actually come in, comes into the story. In 1966, John Tyndall attempted to reconcile with Bean by recommending that their organizations along with other British fascist groups, be absorbed into the National Front. The BNP's board issued a veto of Tyndall's request, but later on negotiations were eventually reached, and Bean resigned from the BNP's board in October 1966, and the BNP eventually became a de effectively defunct on February 7, 1967, as it was now part of the National Front. It was a merger of all of the British fascist groups that I've mentioned, and other ones that I haven't mentioned. And the official, the person considered the official founder was A.K. Chesterton, who we mentioned was the leader of the League of Empire Loyalists. Um, basically, he wanted to consolidate British fascist groups into one single party due to the, glow, the growing influence of the Monday Club. Uh, the Monday Club was a pressure organization that was founded in 1961 by members of the Conservative Party who believed that the party, under the leadership of Prime Minister Harold Macmillan, had gone too far to the left, and they abandoned the principles of traditional British conservatism. They primarily split with the Tories over the issue of immigration, which they uh, vehemently opposed. They opposed all immigration at all to the UK from those who were not white, but but they also and they also supported apartheid South Africa and Rhodesia, two states that were literally established as a result of mass immigration by a racial minority from another part of the world. True. Uh, yeah. yeah. The Monday Club was actually quite influential, and that that is probably why. Uh, Chesterton and his British fascist comrades, who were connoisseurs of losing, didn't like them. Uh, 35 members of, of the British Parliament were affiliated with the Monday Club. Six of them have ha, six of them had actually served as ministers in the British cabinet. There were also 35 uh, Monday Club affiliated peers, aka members of the House of Lords. Um, the club's first president was Robert Gascoigne Cecil, who was a former MP for South Dorset in Southern England. Uh, and he had to resign from Macmillan's cabinet due to ideological disagreements similar to the ideological disagreements between Macmillan and the Monday Club. Um, former Conservative Party leader Alec Douglas Home, himself also a former prime minister, and Macmillan's successor in that role of prime minister, spoke as a guest of honor at two of the Monday Club's annual dinners, and Enoch Powell, the well-known icon of the British far right, who was like one of the most influential in like the whole anti-immigration movement in the UK, uh, he, he was also a frequent associate of this group. Uh, and Chesterton didn't like this because they actually had success. Um, and that kind of led him to found the National Front. He did feel skeptical, skeptical about uniting his group with Colin Jordans, as he too did not approve of Jordan's open embrace of Nazism. But, I mean, they all kind of openly embraced Nazism in some way, just adjacent stuff at least. But 
You shouldn't embrace anything even adjacent to Nazism. I agree. Yeah. Yeah, I personally don't. Yeah. Wait, you don't? Embrace? No. Oh, okay. No, I, okay. I don't yeah, yeah. Embrace anything close to yeah. Nazism. No. So they mainly focused on anti-establishment sentiment. Uh, that 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 was their main thing. Mm. Um, they 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 also focused on uh they tried yeah they they're trying to make conflicts between uh the these uh the original member they're, they're trying to make conflicts between these members uh less prevalent uh they tried to avoid them and they mainly focused on just being anti-establishment anti-communist pro rhodesia pro ending immigration repatriating those already who have who, those who have already immigrated to the uk those were their main things they tried to just unite on because they all agree on that stuff but Chesterton did, in fact, clash with some other members because some of those members disagreed with Chesterton's position that the NF should embrace elitism. Um, some NF members who were previously in the British National Party gave Chesterton the nickname the schoolmaster, uh, like school principal. So initially, John Tyndall and his Greater Britain movement had not been absorbed into the National Front, but eventually they agreed to do so. Uh, the National Front held its first annual conference in October 1967, and they came face-to-face -face with anti-fascist protesters. These would frequently occur. In 1974, one anti-fascist protester named Kevin Gately died of a head injury that was sustained during a confrontation with the National Front. There was also the Battle of Lewisham, or Lewisham, I can't remember which is the correct pronunciation, which occurred in 1977 when NF members marched through southeast London and faced anti-fascist protesters, which resulted in many injuries and 214 arrests. Um, yeah, and there was, and the infighting still didn't stop, because in 1968, we finally are going back to Andrew Fontaine. He challenged Chesterton for the party's leadership position, uh, and his failure to do so led him to leave the National Front. There was continued infighting throughout the following years due to disputes of the organization's headquarters. The NF did, however, end up seeing an increase in membership after Enoch Powell gave his infamous Rivers of Blood speech, which kind of helped mainstream immigration sentiment over in the British Isles. Uh, it caused several people from the furthest right factions of the Conservative Party to defect to the National Front. And during the 1969 local elections, the NF got its start in electoral politics and fielded 45 candidates to run for local offices. Their candidates averaged a poll of 8%, with a few candidates gaining more than, eight, than 10%. And in the 1970 local elections, the NF specifically went after the local positions where their candidates got a double-digit percentage. And they fielded 10, 10 candidates in those jurisdictions, but a, ma a vast majority of those 10 candidates failed to secure more than 5% of the vote, let alone 10. Uh, so, yeah, not, not, not a good sign for them. So they continued to face anti-fascist resistance during this time and even sent in one of their own members to work as a spy within the British resistance, the British anti-fascist resistance. Um, so really they cared, they, cared, they cared more about publicity than actual electoral success. And because of this, they staged publicity stunts, such as when they walked on a live TV show uninvited in 1969 and assaulted two labor ministers. You can do that. You can just walk on. Like, can I just go on to the Jimmy Fallon, like, show i don't know i mean kanye did it will smith did it the orthodox rabbi bill clinton guy did it um and That's, these guys was, yeah these guys that did was it, actually so. crazy because he just he just walked onto the damn stage yeah so, so i mean i guess you could do that too if you really want to but then you'd be associated Where? with kanye will smith and british fascists yeah <laughs> yeah as long as you don't mind you know that you'll be okay well i mean 
that that's not a good sign if you don't mind any of that. Um, yeah, no, that's, that's a good point. Yeah, so, uh, yeah, so, um, yeah, I, I've, Chesterton eventually resigned as party leader after he realized that his leadership was becoming very weak. Um, and uh, in February 1971, John O'Brien took over. Um, I haven't talked about him, but in but there's not really much to talk about because in June 1972, O'Brien and his supporters, in 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 another in they left the National Front in another instance of protest against John Tyndall's openly Nazi ideology. It's it's that again. That I mean, it's it's hypocritical because they agree with him on pretty much everything. Um, so O'Brien and his supporters founded the National Independence Party, or NIP. Uh, NIP. <laughs> yeah. So one month later, Tyndall took over as chair of his party. Histor historian Richard Thurlow claimed that the goal of the NF under Tyndall was to convert racial populists that were angry about immigration into actual full-blown fascists. Um, despite Tyndall's no notoriously open Nazism, he did try to hide the overall party's Nazism from the general public while he was leader. Uh, in June 1974, the NF tried to make an appeal to Britain's white working class and did so by launching the NF Trade Uni Unionists Association. And in response, several British leftists made public images of Tyndall wearing a Nazi uniform, as well as other pieces of evidence that NF members were actual Nazis, public. Uh, throughout 1972, uh, the NF experienced an uptick in membership due to increased immigration of Asians from Uganda. Um, and if, if you're confused by what I'm talking about, the term Asians in Britain usually doesn't refer to like uh, East Asian. It refers to like South Asians, like like Indians and Pakistanis. Oh, okay. And there are actually a large population of like of those people in uh, Uganda, like uh, and also in other countries in Africa, like South Africa. And I think the current prime minister might actually be was born. I think he might actually be the son of some of those. Let me look it up. Um, I just see if I'm correct about that. Uh, let's see. Uh, um so, uh. okay yeah well it doesn't say ugandan but, but yes um the current prime minister of the uk rishi sunak was born to hindu parents of indian punjabi descent who were born in southeast africa um yeah uh so yeah that this was th th because of this stuff this led to a lot of anti-immigrant sentiment and because of that it led to a lot of new membership in the nf but uh and in 1973, a by-election or a special election in American terms was held in a West Bromwich, also another silent W, um, uh, constituent seat, uh, which is a constituency located in the West Midlands, after incumbent Labour MP Maurice Foley resigned to serve in the European Commission. The election was not won by the NF, it was won by Betty Boothroyd, a future Speaker of the House of Commons, because if you didn't know, the House of Commons also has a Speaker, they just don't really play the same role as the Speaker of the House of Representatives in the U.S. Um, there's the people who go on, who just go to, like, slam their gavel and saying, oh, duh, oh, duh. I'm sure you've seen videos like that. Like, there's a video I've, yeah. I've seen of, like, kind of, like, making fun of, like, how British people act like they're all civilized and Americans are so crazy by showing, like, comparing clips of, like, of, like, like of the, of the U.S. Congress, like, moments in Congress in the U.S. and clips of the British Parliament. And showing how it's an exact reversal of the two stereotypes. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah. yeah. So, despite the Labour candidate winning, um, the the NF candidate, who was Martin Webster, again, he was someone who also ran for one of these fascist parties in the past, he managed to receive a whopping 16% of the vote. And he was actually a close ally of Tyndall. Like, over, like, and, uh, 
uh, and uh, he was also the national activities organizer of the National Front. And but he later lost favor within the British far right over rumors of him being gay. Uh, so yeah, that, that led to his expulsion from the National Front. Now I wrote like eight, like nine pages of this stuff, and there's more we could talk about. But I think we've gotten enough talked about here. Um, I know Kiki, you need to go. Um, yeah. So also, yeah, we covered a lot. Yeah. 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 I think any more of this, and like, it, yeah, I'm gonna die. Yeah. I, I feel the same. I'm the one who has to read it. Um, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, thanks guys for coming on. It was great doing this. Um, of course. I finally, have it done. I'll. See you guys. See see you and the listeners on the flip side. All right. See ya. Bye.